Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we'll analyze Donald Trump's acceptance speech with Mississippi State Republican Party Chair Joe Nossif. Then, is the number of mosquitoes carrying the West Nile virus on the rise? Later, giving back to law enforcement officials on the Gulf Coast. And I just stopped the car in the middle of the street. And I just made the sign of the cross in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Because even I was at despair with three officers being killed. And she looked at me and put her hand over her heart. And how organ donations can make all the difference in the world. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Republican presidential hopeful Donald Trump has accepted the party's nomination. In a one-hour and 15-minute speech last night, Trump laid out the things wrong with America and said help is on the way. From terrorism abroad to domestic strife at home to an economy on the ropes, Trump says he will fix it all. Now that he's hitting the general election trail, we want to speak with a political veteran from the Republican Party in Mississippi, State Chairman Joe Nassif, who is with us live from Cleveland, Ohio, the site of the convention. Welcome, Joe. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Are you all packed up and ready to leave? <laughs> well, uh, actually, I've got to stay until tomorrow. I've been here a full two weeks. So needless to say, I'm excited about uh, getting back to Mississippi. I've had a good time, but uh, I think I'm ready to get home. In his speech, Donald Trump presented a list of problems and said he'll get them fixed. What what kind of specifics do you expect to hear from him as this campaign continues until November? Well, first, let me just say this. I have to say it. I've been watching the news all morning, and, and it shouldn't surprise me, but it's annoying that, you know, two weeks ago, uh, understandably so, uh, there was, because of there being nearly a crisis a day, unfortunately, whether it was local uh, in this country, whether it was abroad, that gave Americans a sense of insecurity. You would think from watching the news this morning that the only source that Americans should have of being insecure was Donald Trump's speech last night. It's incredible that uh, people have forgotten what all has been going on in the country. So the idea that his speech was dark and that it was something that was trying to scare people, I think, is ridiculous. Um, now, you know, as far as specifics going forward, um, I think that that's going to take care of itself because of the presidential debates. I mean, I think the voters decided in the primary that they were comfortable with his level of specifics, uh, whatever level people think that that was, and we're going to see what the general election voters think, you know, going forward. Obviously, um, you have to have a realistic plan. And so, for example, when Bernie Sanders was saying everybody could go to college free and do everything free, uh, that just wasn't a realistic thing with $19 trillion of debt. And in this case, I think both candidates are going to have to lay out specifics on how to get uh, to their realistic goals. Uh, The primary debates are a bit different than you know, the general election debates when he will be up against Hillary Clinton, she'll be up against him. And, uh, you know, I think the polls keep changing day to day. They are very close in the polls, back and forth, depending on who you're talking to. Um, 
Donald Trump will obviously get a bump from the convention and then the Democratic convention next week. What do you think has to happen during the Democratic convention that will even boost Donald Trump higher in the polls? Well, uh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's going to be tough. You know, this is not 1992. This is not, you know, uh, uh, thinking about tomorrow and that thing, because that's not, um, you know, who their candidate is. Um, You know, and so it's going to be interesting for them to try to, to, in this change election, which everybody agrees it is, uh, with the despite Obama, uh, President Obama's approval rating, the amount of people that believe the country's on the wrong track is, I believe, at a record high. And so, you know, they're going to have to somehow make Hillary Clinton be uh, a change agent. And I don't know how that's—I just don't know how that's possible. And and for all the people, you know, that have something that they don't like, uh, you know, uh, if they don't about Donald Trump, one thing you can't say is that he's the same old politician, you know, that we've been seeing for the last 25, 30 years. And so, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton's been in the in the national political game since she was on some of the hearings uh, in the mid-'70s, and so uh, I think for Richard Dixon. So it's just going to be hard for them to, to show the American people why they should believe that, um, you know, she's going to do something in her – Fortieth year of public service, or thirtieth year that she didn't do in her first twenty-nine. Do you think, even with Ted Cruz's uh, speech that was booed by people in attendance, that the Republican Party has become unified or continues to become unified? That, that was the believe it or not, that was the most unifying part of the whole convention. I mean, and, and that is the reason I say that is because everybody thought it was not, you know, it was a bad uh, move. I mean, it was incredible how much unanimity there was in the belief that he should have either, one, not spoken, or two, spoken and said, you know, something much more supportive than he actually did. And uh, and that was uh, – I, I did not talk to anybody who didn't have that opinion. And, and, there, and that includes some very – um, significant, you know, crew supporters from the very beginning. So, Joe, I need, I'm sorry, was, I need to stop you right there because we're out of time, but thank you so much for being with us this week a couple of times. We really appreciate it. Joe Nassif, who is the chair of the Republican Party in Mississippi. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Up next is the number of mosquitoes carrying the West Nile virus on the rise. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 227 years ago, the first U.S. president took office. Next year, the 45th will. Follow History in the Making right here on this station. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. The Thacker Mountain Radio Hour returns to the Neshoba County Fair this Saturday, July 23rd at 8 p.m. Our guest will be American Idol semifinalist Amelia Eisenhower, bluesman Leo Bud Welch, and author Harrison Scott Key, plus our house band, the Yalla Bushwhackers. More information at NeshobaCountyFair.org. It's the Thacker Mountain Radio Hour this Saturday at the Neshoba County Fair in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Here comes MD. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The number of mosquitoes carrying the West Nile virus may be on the rise in Mississippi. That's according to the State Department of Health, which has found an unusually high number of mosquitoes with the virus in one county. 
Out of the 13 mosquito trappings conducted in Hines County in recent weeks, 11 had mosquitoes carrying the West Nile virus. Dr. Thomas Dobbs is the state epidemiologist. He tells MPB's Paul Boger it's still too early in the season to know if the increased number of infected mosquitoes will lead to increased human infections. We do spot checks across the state looking for mosquitoes infected with West Nile where we know there's been previous transmission. And this week we've identified numerous traps with with West Nile virus within the mosquitoes, which is a, a proportion a lot larger than we've seen before. 11 of 13 traps on last counting actually had some mosquitoes with, with West Nile. And this is, this is, you know, the highest proportion that we've ever seen. What kind of news is this? Well, you know, we have seen um, West Nile mosquitoes before we've seen human cases. So it really speaks to, to a risk of West Nile. It doesn't mean that the risk is confined to Hines County because, you know, we don't test comprehensively throughout the state. Certainly we have limited capacity and resources to do so. But we do know that there are lots of mosquitoes in Hines County right now with West Nile virus, and that is really um, a necessary component for people to get it. And we're, we're, we're just really worried that, that we're going to have a bump in, in West Nile cases in, in the state and also Hines County. Is there a reason why there's so many more cases as compared to uh, last year or maybe the year before? Yeah, you know, we haven't had many human cases, um, but we do know that West Nile tends to be uh, cyclical. Um, there are several reasons for that. Part of it has to do with the dynamics within the bird population, which is the primary uh, sort of ecological niche for West Nile. And then that combined with weather, there are certain weather patterns, um, you know, particularly heavy rains followed by long dry patches that produce the perfect environment for these mosquitoes to breed and grow. And if the the ecology within the birds coincides with a, a bumper crop of mosquitoes, it's a perfect storm for spilling over into people. So what do people need to know to prevent getting West Nile? The most important thing people can do to prevent West Nile is to pre- prevent mosquito bites. Um, that those activities include, you know, cleaning up standing water around the home. These mosquitoes don't fly very far. So if you can prevent mosquitoes from breeding and growing within the uh, local environment, then you won't have them to bite you. Uh, wearing DEET or other sort of approved mosquito repellent when outdoors, being extra careful from dusk to dawn when these mosquitoes prefer to bite. And then, you know, when possible, wearing loose long sleeve clothing. It's pretty darn hot right now. Uh, but when plausible, you know, wearing something protective will be very useful. You know, we've been hearing a lot about Zika over the last few months, but is there a concern at all that the concern over Zika might make people less weary of West Nile? Yeah, you know, I think it's a, it's a real legitimate concern, an exotic threat versus a known threat. And we have West Nile cases every year. We have deaths most year. We know that that is a real and present danger for Mississippi versus the theoretical threat from Zika locally. Now, certainly we've had quite a few um, Zika cases uh, in travelers, and, and we know that those are the people at risk. And, and unfortunately, I'll say that a lot of travelers um, have not adequately understood the risk from travel um, and have not taken adequate precautions, particularly pregnant women, because we've tested over a dozen pregnant women who did travel to a Zika-affected country during the pregnancy, and that can certainly have you know, devastating outcomes for the, for, the, for the baby if the mom gets Zika when she's pregnant. So what are some s- symptoms of West Nile? Uh, West Nile symptoms can be pretty, pretty mild. Um, most people who get West Nile don't have any symptoms at all. Uh, up to 80% don't really have any symptoms, but the people who do get sick typically have fever, headache, maybe a mild rash, 
And then about 1%, maybe 2% of people who have West Nile will get the severe manifestations of meningitis or encephalitis or brain swelling, and that can lead to death or brain damage or injury that can, can you know, sort of mimic a stroke with lifelong or long-term uh, disability. You know, you said it a second ago that you know, West Nile is a known threat. It's been in the U.S. for going on 20 years now. So is there concern that people aren't taking it seriously enough anymore? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's a real concern. Complacency is always a concern. And um, it, it's tedious to remember to wear mosquito repellent and to take the precautions. Um, but, it's, but it's important. Um, the things that we do to protect our environment from West Nile would also help us keep uh, Zika viruses, Zika mosquitoes away if, if in fact, that, you know, that were, became a real issue. So there's crossover. The messages don't have to be exclusive. Um, we want to protect our homes from, from mosquitoes in general. And there could be additional threats in the future. So I think the messages can be complementary, but it's just really important because we know mosquitoes spread uh, viruses, not just West Nile, but we have other sorts of viruses like, um, uh, like St. Louis encephalitis and things like that. Um, so we just always need to be vigilant for mosquitoes in Mississippi. How many people in Mississippi have contracted West Nile, knowing that you know have contracted West Nile? This year we have um, only documented four cases of West Nile with no deaths. On the human scale, it seems like this is a bit of a slower year. Yeah, you know, it's hard to predict because we're just kind of really hitting the peak time. Late July, uh, August, and early September are our, our peak time periods historically. So we're just kind of stepping into it. So it's hard to know. Um, but hopefully we'll prevent as many cases as we can through people's awareness and activities. MPB's Paul Boger with state epidemiologist Dr. Thomas Dobbs. Up next, giving back to law enforcement officials on the Gulf Coast. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 227 years ago, the first U.S. president took office. Next year, the 45th will. Follow history in the making right here on this station. Listen every day. Weekdays at 4 on MPB Think Radio. One of three Baton Rouge police officers ambushed and killed Sunday, Matthew Gerald, will be buried today. He had a lot of pride in himself and his job, but he didn't want to boast about it. And when people thanked him, he said, hey, you know, I'm just doing my job. The funeral of Matthew Gerald later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A small gesture by a Mississippi Gulf Coast couple has started a movement to let law enforcement officials know they are appreciated. Samantha and Bob McCraney of Bay St. Louis got the idea of gathering small gift cards from residents and donating them to law enforcement agencies shortly after the recent killings of police in Baton Rouge. Samantha McCraney says a chance encounter started it all. I heard it on the radio coming home from Frugal's, you know, on a Sunday. Everybody was at church. There was no traffic. I was on Dunbar Avenue in our little town apart, Bay St. Louis, and there was a police car pulled over to the side, and she was listening. I don't know what she was listening to. I shouldn't say that. She looked, I'm hesitating because I want to find the right word of how she looked. She looked scared, depressed, and it was hot. It was one of the hottest days, and I saw she had her her um, bulletproof vest, and this had just happened. So maybe she was listening to the police radio, but her head was sort of going a little at a shake too, and I just stopped the car in the middle of the street because I was hearing it on the radio too. 
And I just made the sign of the cross in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Because even I was at despair with three officers being killed. And she looked at me and put her hand over her heart and she beat it three times. And I hope the microphone can hear. And her eyes just fired at me and mine to hers. And she put her hand up to her, not her face, but a hand. And I put my hand up. And we just stared at one another for maybe 10 seconds. And I drove off. And as I drove off, I could see her head with her hands still up as I drove off, just shaking. So I had this incredible experience with a female officer. By the way, she was all alone in the car pulled over. Gosh knows what was going through her mind, but I knew what was going through mine. And I drove home, and um, it was b before church. And I looked at my husband. And I said, we got to do something. Then all of a sudden, being Samantha McCraney, up oh, there's the phone, Bob. Can you get it? This is a real live interview. <laughs> and our phone rings. And since we started this silent salute, it has not stopped. So we came home, and I talked about it. And then I had been giving... Um, gift cards to some older people who are not wealthy for quite some time. It's just the way I do my paying it forward. And I will put them in an envelope at Christmas or birthdays for these elderly people who can't afford it. And they always send me a, a letter, a handwritten letter back. They don't have email, you know. And then I said, well, let's just do this for the police. Let's, you and I, go and buy a bunch of gift cards and just bring them to the police department. And then all of a sudden it dawned on me, no, it's Sunday. Monday morning, I am going to the mayor's office personally to tell him my thought. Then I'm going to the Chamber of Commerce because the head of our chamber here, Tish Williams, is a dynamo. She loved the idea, but it, it wasn't a city idea at all. It was a, a pay-it-forward respect, a personal respect to this woman officer I did not know, but I, I could feel her heart. I could feel it. I could, I could see it, this silent salute she gave me. So they liked the idea, and then all of a sudden, Tish at the Bay Waveland Chamber of Commerce sent a press release, and I went, wow, who is Samantha McCraney? This is absolutely brilliant. What a writer. And then our mayor, Les Fillingham, game felt the same way. And his secretary, Mary, oh gosh, Mary was a treasure. And that's how a simple act of kindness, a silent salute to the blue, came about. Samantha McCraney of Bay St. Louis. Up next, how organ donations can make all the difference in the world. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're print impaired, MPB's radio reading service is here for you. Our dedicated team of volunteers bring the world of news and entertainment to you. For information and to see if you qualify, call us at 601-432-6301. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Every year, nearly 1,500 Mississippians are on a waiting list for an organ transplant, but a limited supply often stands in the way of getting organs to those who need them. Sometimes cultural myths are behind the lack of donations. Kevin Stump is with Mississippi Organ Recovery Agency, or MORA, an organization that facilitates organ and tissue donations. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier about 70 Mississippians donate organs annually. 
Mora is one of the federally designated organ procurement organizations in the United States. Um, all 58 of us have been designated areas to serve to help facilitate donation of organs, tissue, and eye donation. And so for us here in Mississippi, it's uh, pretty much the majority of the state, minus a few counties up near Memphis. Uh, there's an organization up there that handles those counties. So we help facilitate all of the donation. How many donations do you know are made a year in Mississippi? Um, historically, we've averaged around 70 uh, families every year donating organs. Um, this year, because of the support of people who, who we're here to honor and say thank you to, uh, because of the support of all the hospitals that we work with and the coroners and funeral homes, uh, we're actually on track to have a record number of families say yes this year for organ and tissue donation. And so that means more Mississippians will be able to get a life-saving transplant. That means more Mississippians, when they need a bone graft or a vascular graft or a skin graft or a corneal transplant to restore their sight, it's there for them and they can get that surgery. I understand that uh, one pers- person can donate up to eight organs? What are they? Um, You can. uh, One organ donation can um, help up to eight people. Uh, When we talk about organ donation, we're talking about lungs, heart, liver, kidney, pancreas, uh, small bowel transplant. Uh, And so those are the organs that we talk about when we're talking about organ transplant. When we talk about tissue transplant, we're talking about um, avascular uh, tissue, which is like the cornea to restore sight, bone grafts to help restore uh, stability to the spine or skin uh, donation, which is now uh, predominantly used for trauma patients and for breast reconstruction after mastectomies. Uh, We also see vascular grafts to restore blood flow to limbs so they don't have to be amputated. Valves to replace the natural heart valves that uh, have ceased working so then the heart can function better. So. Seventy doesn't seem like that many for a year. (laughs) That's, you know, every year in the state of Mississippi there's around 30,000 deaths. Um, About half of those occur in hospitals. The other half are at scene, hospice, uh, nursing homes. And so, yeah, everybody thinks, oh, my word, you know, why aren't we just, you know, why don't we have an organs donated left and right? Well, to, to be an organ donor, the nature of your death has to be either through brain death, which is pronounced in a hospital when the brain stops functioning and the heart's still beating, or in certain simulation situations, um, if a family member has had a, a significant uh, brain injury or injury and the family decides to withdraw the ventilator, in certain situations we can also do organ donation after the heart stops beating in those situations. So uh, we look at about every year there's about 112 to 115 families in Mississippi who can donate organs. Uh, on average there's about 1,000 to 1,100 who can donate tissue. What is the challenge that you face? Uh, the challenge that we face, uh, I mean, the, the continuing challenge is every day is, is helping people understand what a significant opportunity this is and that, you know, it doesn't disrupt funeral arrangements, that it doesn't cost to donate, that if you sign up to be on the donor registry, it doesn't mean that we're not going to try and save your life. And it's just get people to understand that this really is a life-saving chance for your life as you pass to make a huge difference in somebody else's life and and if we could get everybody in the state of Mississippi to be present when a donor family and a recipient meet they would see this you know because it's amazing to watch a family that gave permission to donate and then they meet the recipient 
one of the recipients or all the recipients. It's just amazing to watch that, you know, happen and, and to really see what a huge difference that one person made uh, in all these people's lives. I understand that African Americans tend to be reluctant, um, by and large, to donate organs. Is that correct? Um, when I got here in 92, uh, that was correct. We historically, um, from like 92 to 96, really um, had a challenge within the African-American community to have more families donate. Um, part of that was we realized we weren't being um, uh, as good at giving those families the option because everybody would make the statement, well, they're not going to donate, don't call them. But what we have found out over the years, just like with everybody else, is, is it's about respect. If you treat a family with respect and you are up front and, and you know, let them know what's going on with their loved one, it really doesn't matter what the color of their skin is. Those families will want to donate. So we've really worked hard to collaborate with our hospital partners and the, and the personnel in those hospitals that we work together as a team, a collaborative team, to support them. It's Marketplace Tech for Friday the 22nd. I'm Ben Johnson in New York. Today, my Silicon